Good morning, everyone. It's a real joy and privilege to join you this Sunday morning. But I've got to be honest with you, it's both a joy and a challenge. Uh, if you are checking in, my name is Shabir. I'm one of the pastors at Canterbury. I mean, last week, there was quite a few of us uh, in this premises here in this building and also in the portable, and some of you watched online as well. And now we're back to lockdown. Now, if you haven't already heard, we as a church want to continue to love and serve one another. So if you are in need of anything, please do get in touch with the pastoral team. And as I was thinking about what to share this morning, I thought, oh, maybe we need to pause our series in Hebrews and maybe do something a little bit different, you know, because it's lockdown. And I had this thought that came to mind and said, Shabu, no, this is the best thing to do. That is to look to who matters, to look to who matters. If you call Canterbury home, or maybe you're exploring us today, our prayer is, no matter who you are, as we explore this new book in the Bible, this book, this new series in the book of Hebrews, that God will use His Word to cause your heart to see a great vision of who Jesus is. And as you see him, as you are in awe of him through his word, through his spirit, hearts will be convicted, hearts will be changed and transformed. And even if you're a weary follower, that your heart will be encouraged. What do we know about the book of Hebrews? Well, it was written in the first, middle of the first century. Hebrews is filled with this beautiful, glorious vision to see Jesus as the one who's far greater far superior than anything ever before and ever will come. And because of this, to keep going, this is the encouragement the Hebrew writer is giving to these Christians, keep persevering. Don't go back to what you know, what you used to do. In Hebrews, it's like 13 chapters. It's like a sermon that would have most likely either been read or shared to the Christians then. These Christians are Christians who are Jewish believers. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But we know historically as well, and you'll see this as we go into Hebrews, there's lots of talk about the temple, so which means the temple probably existed during that time. And the people are tempted to go back, and the author is saying, don't go back. They're tempted to go back to those temple sacrifices, to keeping the law. Perhaps they're doubting what they've signed up might not be the right thing. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Now, you can spend lots of time finding out that. There's lots of discussion on that. But what we do know is that most likely it was either a disciple or a companion of the apostles, which means they had teaching authority. We know also this was well known amongst the apostles. They mentioned people like Timothy later on in Hebrews. We also know through church history that this was a letter that was quite quoted often, you can look this up. There's a gentleman by the name of Clement. He was a bishop and overseer in Rome, and he quoted passages from Hebrew, so it had authority as Scripture. Now, why am I sharing all of this with you? Is it to show that I can read books? Uh, no, it's to show you that the Bible is a historical book, and yet it is also, because it's God's Word, it speaks to us today. And with that in mind, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at the first four verses. Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses. Here is God's Word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, 
through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Friends, what I want us to consider this morning is this, Jesus the one who is greater and superior and sufficient. With that in mind, would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter what season of life we are in, please gaze our heart afresh to who you are this morning. Oh Lord Jesus, I plead with you, may we walk away knowing you more. In your mighty name, I pray. Amen. Now, the word Jesus, or this name, might have a lot of things and images that conjure up in your heart and mind. Uh, Maybe you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, and you may say his name very inappropriately. You may be someone who believes in Jesus and worships him, but there are things about Jesus that you talk about often, particularly as you describe him, as you talk to your friends about Jesus. There'll be elements or aspects that you really kind of resonate with, that you love talking about. A few years back, uh, an organization by the name of McCrindle Research, an Australian research company, did a study on faith and belief in Australia. And one of the questions, or the research questions they asked was, what are the Australians' perception of Jesus? Now, I've got to tell you that these are non-Christians. These are people who don't believe in Jesus. They had a group that they asked. It's up here on the screen. I'm not sure how clear it is, but this is what one of the quotes said. There's nothing negative about him. He, had, he was a very moral person. So many good traits here, if he does exist. Another one was, one in 29 Australians have never heard of Jesus. Another thing, question was asked was, how much do Australians know about Jesus' life? 28% very little or nothing. 24% a moderate amount. a significant amount. It would be interesting to find out what they believe and what they've heard. The question was asked, how important was Jesus' life to the history and the culture of the world? Which I found this one interesting. 14% not at all. 33% slightly somewhat. 53% extremely. Very high. And then they asked the question, what about you personally? 37% not at all. 32% slightly somewhat, 31% extremely very. Then they were asked, what are the positive attributes that they know about Jesus? So 50% said they know that it's love, and then hope, and then care, and then truth, then strength, then wisdom, nonviolence, salvation, grace, freedom. It's interesting in all those questions, it doesn't really show who they see Jesus as, as in, is he God? They have a lot of perceptions, perhaps assumptions, maybe things that they've heard or read. And maybe that's someone like you, whether if you're someone who's a follower or someone who's not. This morning what we want to do is gaze our heart and mind to what God says of His own Son through His Word. The writer of the Hebrews, before he goes into details, he wants to set a foundation first. And you see that in Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Have a look again in verse 1. Long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This is to say God has spoken in the past 
God has actually spoken in the past in many ways. Well, how? Well, in this, in the very language here, is to say that the very creation itself declares and reveals who God is and His glory. Actually, the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it begins with this. Genesis 1, 1 1-4, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then what happens? And God spoke, Let there be light. There was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God speaks, and life begins. It reveals who he is, that his very words bring life. Later on, someone who absolutely loved and worshipped God, a man who was described after God's, a man after God's own heart, was King David. And he sang this song from Psalm 19. You might know this, but it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night after night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words in the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. And creation is declaring and speaks of who God is. That he is the God who has spoken in the past through his very first words to creation. And even creation declares that. To reveal who God is. To reveal the very glorious nature of who God is. This is one of the ways, and this is how God has spoken in the past. There's an author that I've really been enjoying in his commentary on the book of Hebrews, a guy called Kent Hughes. He puts it this way. The cosmic eloquence of God is deafening. What a beautiful way to say it. Yet in all of this, hearts are hard. We know this throughout the story of the Bible. Hearts are slow slow of hearing. There are those who will hear and those who will not hear. Yet God has always been speaking. He's always been revealing who He is, and He's always spoken. For the writer of Hebrews, he's saying, this is how He has spoken in in the past. This is one of the ways. Uh, A little while back, I had the great joy, a long time ago it feels like, I went to a beach called St. Andrew's Beach. It's up here on the screen. I don't know if there's a picture there. It's an absolutely stunning spot if you've never been there. It's on the Mornington Peninsula. And I stared into the wild ocean and the sunset. There was this sense of awe and beauty and feeling of how small I am. And I'm not sure if you've ever felt that, where you've seen or experienced photos that almost makes you think, oh, there's, got to, there's something much greater. But I think in our day and age, particularly in social media, how often, myself included, do we put ourselves in front of that picture? We see that creation itself is about us. To remind us about us. It's not about us. It's never been about us. God has spoken in many ways. And the author of Hebrews is doing this wonderful work to say long time ago, God has spoken in many ways, even in creation itself. But now, God provides more to reveal who He is. Another way He's spoken in many ways in the past whether to the people of old, through the people of old. He talks about God has spoken in the past through his mouthpieces, where he speaks of our fathers. What he's talking about is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the Old Testament. By the prophets, people chosen by God to be his mouthpiece, to speak on his behalf. 
Now, the Old Testament is littered with examples of this, but here are some things. God spoke in this way. He would come as thunder and lightning and the voice of a trumpet when he spoke to Moses. God spoke in this way. He whispered like a small voice, little still voice to Elijah. God spoke in this way. He would give visions to the prophet Elijah, sorry, Ezekiel. God spoke in this way through dreams, through Daniel and Joseph. God spoke in this way through the angel of the Lord appearing to people like Jacob. God would speak in words that would rebuke, warn, encourage. He would speak in this way to the people that he spoke through his particular mouthpieces. Mouthpieces who would speak on behalf of God directly. Either they would come with answers or they would come with questions. They would even come with symbolic acts. There may even be a sermon that they would give. These examples, these voices who spoke at God's mouthpieces spoke God's heart, and it was his very revelation, revealing who God is, who his people are. Throughout the Old Testament in particular, as God spoke through these mouthpieces, it felt like something was unfinished. In many ways, this is where you hear the sort of language of in many ways, or or another way to put it is various portions. It reveals that what was spoken was like fragmented. It was like half the story. It wasn't a full picture. It was not finished. It's like when you watch a TV series and you're constantly being told there's this next episode kind of revealing the full picture. Now, I'm not sure what your view of the Bible is. Maybe you see the Bible as sort of kind of pictures and stories here and there, bits and pieces. Maybe for some of us, for example, we may see as the Old Testament, oh yeah, that's fine, but you know, we are New Testament people. Or we might see certain aspects of stories just sort of as something that's totally separate on its own. Friends, the Bible is much more than a book. It is the very Word of God. It's unfolding to the people then, and even today, that the very story of who God is, it's revealing to us this one big picture, one true story, his story of pointing them and us of what is to come or rather, who is to come? The final word. All the fathers of old, all the prophets of old, like it's like they were waiting and yearning, waiting for God to speak, to speak, to reveal someone. And so you see in verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having more, has become much more superior to angels, as this name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." The author is saying, God has spoken finally through Jesus. Actually, sometimes what happens on this side of the cross, I wonder for those of us here today, on this side of the cross in the empty tomb, and having all of Scripture, I wonder if we miss the depth and beauty of what this means. I don't know if you've ever watched a movie or seen a scene, and all of a sudden you go, oh, it all makes sense now. This is that moment. This is what's going on here. 
See, the group of believers believed in God. They believed in Yahweh, His authority, the stories that they grew up with. They would have known their Bible really well. But most likely, these Jewish Christians, their world is in a sense falling apart. Being a Christ follower, in a sense, hasn't really turned out the way they thought it would. It doesn't, in a sense, give them an advantage in their life. It means that they will most likely face opposition, persecution, and even death for following Jesus. And maybe, perhaps, as they're standing there going through this, about to begin even, actually, it feels as though God is silent. And they're tempted to turn back, to go back to the past. And the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, God is not silent. Not only has he spoken in the past, just like the people of old who did not have the full picture, he's saying, but now he has spoken fully and gloriously and beautifully through Jesus, his son. I mean, the language in here is so strong. He's saying, this is God's final revelation. His final word is Jesus Christ. All that was in the past is pointing to Jesus, fulfilled in him. You know, it's much more also than, you know, like if, you, if we're not in our, at our home and we're doing sort of Bible study or like doing sort of um, quiet time together as a family, we always ask the question, you know, what does this say? And one of them will always say, Jesus. It's like that answer. Jesus, right? Everything is Jesus. Now, that's wonderful. But here what the Hebrew writer is trying to get across is, the old days, God spoke to just mere spokespeople or spokespersons, should I say, like the prophets of old. But this Jesus is not like that at all. He's not just like mere spokesperson, like a prophet of old. Neither is he just a heavenly messenger. Rather, Jesus is so deeply acquainted with God the Father, just like only a family member could. This is only Jesus could only do this. Jesus is the one who's the word who became flesh, as the Apostle John wrote. And in this, God puts on flesh. He spoke. He made it possible for them and for us to know God himself like never before. God is communicating who he is in this final word that is Jesus. And in hearing Jesus, we actually get to meet God the Father. The Apostle John put it this way, No one has seen God, but only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So for a church that's doubting, wondering, questioning, perhaps they're feeling that silence of God, their author wants to get their gaze higher and higher and higher to say, Look, look, look. God is not silent. Listen to Jesus. Jesus will actually inform every area of your life. He is so greater. Friends, I don't know if you've ever felt that or thought that. That moment of feeling like God is silent. Or maybe you've heard this, and I've heard this often with friends who don't know Jesus. If God shows up right now, then I will believe. Friends, we know that God is not silent. Jesus is the full revelation of that. As we understand him, as we read about him, as we hear him and consider him, what we'll see is that he is the answer. He's the essential answer to everything in life. Jesus is far greater, far better, far more supreme 
And in him do we hear the final voice of God himself. This is what it means to be using our day in our language in our church of being Christ-centered. To those of you, well, I believe if God shows up, well, guess what? God has in Jesus Christ. This is why we would invite you to read even Jesus' own words through the Gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Hear his words. And when you read it, perhaps say, Jesus, speak to me, and he will, and he has. And I mean, Jesus himself talked about this. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible story, you know that Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, he was walking along with some disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were really down. They're thinking that Jesus is done for. And Jesus speaks to them, and he says to them in Luke 24, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter his glory? And the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all scripture that concerns him. And I love this beautiful response, this sort of like almost aha moment for the disciples. In Luke 24, it says, And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? See, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus or a seeker, God has spoken in his fullness in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All of Scripture is pointing to him. Not till we sort of grow in a sense in the wonder of this will our hearts, in a sense, burn as Jesus reveals himself through his word. It's like saying we may have all the theology and all the knowledge, but if Christ is not that you end up in that heart that is not moved towards Christ, ultimately what you're doing is just information. There's another way of putting it, as one theologian put it, Christ is the crescendo. That's the sinner. He's the sinner. God has spoken in the past. Jesus, God's living word, spoken then and today. And now what the author does in Hebrews, he describes Jesus in seven ways, seven descriptions. Have a look with me in Hebrews 1, 2. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed, circle this, heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, circle that. He's the radiance of the glory of God, circle that, and the exact imprint of his nature, so circle that too. He upholds the universe, circle that, by the word of his power, after making purification for sins, so circle that one. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and you can circle that. Firstly, Jesus is greater as the one who has inherited all. Jesus, as the Son of God, has inherited all things. And in this, the writer is most likely connecting what you'll see that later in chapter 1 of Psalm 2. Jesus is God's anointed. As the one who is anointed, Jesus can ask, not only ask, it's his right, as the psalmist put, every nation are his heritage. The reason why Jesus is the one who's the inheritor is because he's both creator and redeemer. As the one who is creator, he is the heir. What that means is if Jesus did not exist, life does not exist. The world does not exist. The very existence of creation is for him. As the one who has inherited, he's also the redeemer. As part of Jesus' inheritance, his inherited souls renewed through his work on the cross. If you are a follower of Christ, you are his inheritance. 
What a thought. To a church that is struggling, the author is trying to get their gaze to Jesus as the one who has inherited, as the one who is sovereign over all, as the creator, as the one who is the redeemer. He has inherited them. To Christ, this church is very precious. They are valued in Christ. What a thought. Jesus, who is heir of the universe, he is God, yet his treasured possession are those believers in that church. As one author put it, Ken Hughes, he says, the redeemed are worth more than the universe. I mean, resting that truth, Jesus inherited those of us who have put our faith in him. It grows in us that, yes, Jesus is Lord over all. That means as Lord over all, he's Lord even today, including snap lockdowns and pandemics. Resting in the truth that Jesus inherited Being our Redeemer should give our hearts assurance because of this inheritance. Guess what? We are heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. It's because we live in Him, we have heirs of all of this. We get the spoils of Christ's work. Isn't that a wonderful thing, followers of Christ? The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. Jesus is the greater one who is the heir. Number two, Jesus is greater as one who is creator. The author of Hebrews wants to reveal Jesus as the one who is the very person through him, a whole universe of space and time was created by him. Here the scripture is, there's so much you can go to. Other scripture talks about this, right? So John 1, 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Or in Colossians 1, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether on thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. I mean, for a church that would have been facing persecution and their challenges in their faith, and the culture around them who say, come worship these many gods. God is declaring through his word, Jesus is the one who is the creator. The whole universe is held together by him. Because he is the creator. Friends, do we rest in this? Do we look to the one and petition to the one and seek the one who is the creator? Do we trust and rest that he is actually Lord over all? This means, when we see the things in this world, this means when you and I are waiting to hear what the announcement will be on Tuesday or Thursday, perhaps the best thing to do before we even listen to those things is to read this passage and be reminded that Jesus is the creator of the universe and he holds everything in his sovereign hand. His words of assurance for you and me. Jesus is greater because he's the creator of everyone as in everything, as one song says. Number three, Jesus is greater because he's the radiance of God's glory. This is connected to the fact of Jesus' relationship with the Father. This is to say that Jesus himself is part of God's glory. Another way to put it is when we see Jesus, we're seeing God's glory. This is great beautiful story in the Gospels where Jesus is on the mount and then he's transfigured and there's this bright light and shining and it's like there's this radiant picture of who he is. 
Or, or later on, when the Apostle Paul is converted on that road, he sees this bright light and he sees Christ and he hears Christ. He's faced with Jesus' glory. It's the author's way of saying, have you ever wondered, what is God's glory like? Just look at Jesus. I mean, this church that he's writing to would have faced many things that declare, actually, these things are far more glorious, things of the past, perhaps. What they're inviting to do is look to Jesus. He's far more greater. This means that for you and me, if you're followers of Christ, what calls to our heart to say, this is far more glorious than Christ. It's far more beautiful than Christ. It's not. It pales into insignificance in comparison to who Christ is and his glory. Number four, Jesus is greater as the one who is the same in his being as the Father. As the one who is the exact imprint of his nature. So what the author is doing is using a term they would have been familiar with. If you can imagine a coin, and on this coin is a perfect imprint of the person or the ruler of that time. And then there would have been uh, something else like a die that they would have used. He's saying when you look, when you consider Jesus, you're saying and seeing the same being as God the Father. Yes, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, yet they exist separately. But what it's talking about is we're seeing they're one and yet they're distinct. What's seeing is beautiful is the author of Hebrews is saying, when you see how Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, that he's the very source who's a one with the Father, but as one who is the representative of the same being, yet he's also distinct. It's like saying, if you want to know what the Father is like, yes, look to Jesus, but no, he is distinct. This is a hint, and this is a, this unraveling of this beautiful truth in the Christian world that is the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity. And seeing Jesus, we know the Father more. When we see Jesus, we know what the God of the universe is like. We get to know and how he thinks, how he talks, how he relates to people, and what matters to him. See, Christian fans, knowing Jesus means we get to know God more. The question for you and for me is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus or do you just know about him? Number five, Jesus is greater because he sustains the universe. Jesus is the one who upholds the universe. He's not one who passively sort of sits back and just sort of waits. He's actively involved in sustaining the universe. How is he doing that? Do you see that? By his word. What the author is doing is connecting a few dots again. What they're saying is that, you know that very utterance that you guys grew up listening to, that utterance where it speaks of in the very first few chapters in Genesis where God speaks and life begins? Well, that's Jesus. That's his voice. It's a word of comfort to church that may consider their traditions of the past as what sustains them. The author is, no, Jesus is. Jesus is the one who sustains, the one who can make a new creation of a person's soul. He's the one. He's the one who can also sustain a church that is struggling, a Christian that is struggling. Friends, that should bring us hope if you're a follower of Christ. If you feel that sense, even in our day and age, that moment of saying, oh, how long, oh Lord, take heart. Jesus is and will sustain the universe for his purpose, for his glory, by his word. He says it, and when he says it's done, it's done. 
and he will sustain his church. Jesus is greater as the one who sustains. And then now, as the author continues to describe these sort of seven descriptions, he speaks of Jesus as greater because he's the great high priest. As the priest, he's done two things. And here are the two things. Jesus is greater because he's the purifier. What does that mean? See, in the last two sections of these verses, the author of Hebrews introduces what's known as the priestly office of Jesus. What it's talking about, he's done a work. He has made purification for sins. It's all connecting with the Old Testament. We'll unpack this further in the coming weeks. Jesus is greater because he's the one, after hearing who he is, he's given this powerful truth. He's describing to them Jesus is the purifier because he has sacrificed once for all. This is because only Jesus can do this. He alone can offer himself as the sacrifice for the sins of all. He alone can only purify people of their sin. Number seven, Jesus is greater because he is the ruler. He has done the work. I mean, it's a wonderful set of words and direction the author of Hebrews is now kind of climaxing in. To say for Jesus, it's looking back to the customs of old. And if you're considering of the priests of old, you know what? Those priests of old, the priests are constantly standing. Their work is never done. They're not sitting down. They're constantly providing sacrifice after sacrifice, constantly standing, unlike Jesus Christ, the better and greater one, whose work is sufficient because of who he is. He has done the work. And you know, where is this beautifully described? If you can imagine and remember those words on that cross, when Jesus is on the cross, he breathes, and what does he say? It is finished. It's a powerful reminder of the church that only Jesus' work and only his work, his blood purifies a sinner. Nothing else. Even works of righteousness or even being religiously really committed to those things that they were committed to. In the very place that Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father, majesty and highs, only reserved for him and no one else. Only Jesus came because he is Lord. He is King. The very psalm that is quoted is from Psalm 110. The writer's quoting at the right hand is a great place of honor. And this place is only reserved for Jesus. I mean, these very descriptions that you have of seven things, the author is using kind of things that are very familiar with the Hebrew here is seven means this is complete. It's a way of saying Jesus has completed this in every way. To summarize it, Jesus is the greater prophet. Jesus is the greater priest, and Jesus is the greater king. Dear friends, if you don't know Jesus, we plead with you. Jesus is someone you really need to take seriously and consider his truths. He's the only one that you will find true fulfillment in. You need to be confronted by who he is. He has made it very clear who he is. He hasn't hidden it. Revealed in the very words of Scripture, come, we would invite you to explore, maybe even tuning in, we would invite you to explore as we explore the book of Hebrews. If you know Jesus, whether if you're someone who just came to know Jesus last week, maybe you've been following them for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, how many other years, does Jesus Christ still take your breath away? 
like the Jewish Christians, what's calling to you and me to say, this is much greater than Jesus? This language of in the last days, if you and I live in this season of time, guess what? God has revealed himself fully in his son, that he is the better and greater one. We are in those last days. God has revealed who he is, his son, Jesus. Jesus is greater. Jesus is God. We can't move from that. We must be very careful, particularly for those of us who follow Jesus. We fall into this trap going, okay, there's got to be more. We cannot do better than proclaiming, sharing, showing, praying, speaking about, and the glory of who Jesus is. Jesus is supreme. Does this still ring true for you and me, followers of Christ? Is still Christ greater to you and me? Uh, Today I've lost track of what day of lockdown it is. Now whether if it stops or not, guess what? It doesn't change who Jesus is. See, what's grabbed your heart and my heart more than Jesus today? I mean, the church that has been written to, they wanted to go back to the good old days, the old ways, in order to stay safe and in their mind be good. What does it mean for you and I today? Perhaps, whether intentionally or unintentionally, have we made Jesus like a footnote in the study of the Bible and seeking him and serving him? And actually, we've forgotten that he's the very source of life. He's actually the exclamation mark in history and life itself. We may understand that Jesus has died for our sins, and we must rejoice in that and praise God for that. But is he still on that cross, or is he seated on the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over all? Do we speak of lockdown and COVID challenges, trials, joys in such a big way that they're far more bigger than Jesus, who is Lord over all? Do we speak to our kids as though Jesus is truly Lord and King? This is who we've been called to proclaim, that Jesus is greater as he is the creator. Jesus is greater as he is the heir. Jesus is greater as he is the sustainer. Jesus is great as the one who radiates as God himself. Jesus is great as he represents the Father exactly. Jesus is great as his sacrifice alone purifies us of our sin. Jesus is great as he rules and is seated on the right-hand side of the Father. And he's the only one who knows us and he's the only one we can come to we can in, who intercedes on our behalf. Do you see this? Do I see this? Is Jesus still greater? Jesus is indeed our great prophet, priest, king. He alone is supreme. So here are some things for you to consider as we close our time together. What is greater in your life and my life right now than Jesus? When we study and read and consider the words in Scripture, do we ultimately finish in Christ and what he has done? Or are we looking for just what Scripture is about? Do we make it about us rather than about Him? Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power, 
After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ is glorious. Amen? Amen. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are the final word. And we ask as we as a church, wherever we are and whatever seasons that are coming ahead, would you go before us and refresh our hearts in getting to know you more? For you are our great prophet, our great priest, our great king. And we thank you for the joy to know you and to be known by you.